Okay. Okay, we'll start. So we're going to talk about something that is uh, probably known to all of you, but which we like to avoid talking about because it's not always so clear. So on the beginning of the sheet there is the Pasuk that we are going to learn. The Pasuk says, by Yaakov, this takes place after Yaakov Avinu finished giving brachot to all of his children and also giving directives to Yosef uh, uh, and the brothers about burying him in Eretz Yisrael. By Yaakov, by means came to an end. He collected his feet into the bed. Vaigva, Vaigva is a word that uh, means he died. Vayasef elamav is another phrase that means that he died. So it says Vayasef elamav elamita, which doesn't necessarily mean that he died, but in this case, that's what the implication is. And then there are two other words that are used, or two other phrases that are used to say he died. Vaigva, he died. Vayasef. Yasef el Amav, he died. He died and he died. Rashi says, He doesn't explain why that's important for us to know or what that implies. Then he says, And Rashi says, Which means that the verb Lamut is not used in the Pasuk. But it doesn't say that he would mate. It says he is something else, something fancy. Then Rashi said, Yaakov Avinu lo mate. And the Chachamim said, based on this Pasuk, that Yaakov Avinu lo mate. And the question, of course, is what does that mean? What did they mean when they said Yaakov Avinu lo mate? I mean, he didn't die? What does it mean? Lo mate means the word mate is not used for Yaakov Avinu. The word mate, mavet, is it's hard to know from the Rashi here. Other what Rashi means. If Rashi really means that Yaakov Avinu didn't die, so that's a bit of a problem. So if he didn't die, so, so what happened to him? But if he did die, then Yaakov Avinu lo mate means that the word mavet, that the verb lamut was not used. And if the word lamut was not used, so why wasn't it used? Why are Chazal so, um, so excited about this? If you look at the Rashbam, Rashbam, remember, is Rashi's grandson. The Rashbam sort of feels that he, that Rashi left out a certain dimension of Pshat that he, the Rashbam, is going to uh, teach us. And the Rashbam says this, Right, that's Rashi. Hechnisam the mitato, same thing as Rashi. But then he explains, ki adata hayoyushev. Until now, he was sitting up. As people sit, kirechtiva yeshevah mita, he sat on the bed. And Yosef took his sons away from the knees of his father. That meant he had no strength. He couldn't continue. As he was continuing, he couldn't sit there and have the children sit on his lap. He had to, he had to go away. Uh, and, and the Rashbam has a sort of a, a theological implication. He says, after all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu thought favorably of Yaakov, and therefore Yaakov had this strength until the very moment that he died. He was a strong person. But who else was a strong person until the moment he died? Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was a strong person until the moment he died, and but anyway, the Rashbam, the Rashbam, besides explaining what, uh, 
what Vayasov Raghavavita means avoids talking about whether Yaakov made or Lomet. Obviously, the Rashbam does not put that into the category of Pshat. Because you don't need that. You don't have to say that. That's the Rashbam's position. Of course, in all these things, it's very difficult to have a Svara because the Rashbam, after all, looked at Rashi while he was writing whatever he wrote. So he could have been saying, okay, Rashi said it. I have to say it over again. I mean, of course, you learn Rashi before you learn the Rashbam. Or you say, no, like Rashi is a little bit too uh, off the beaten track. So let me correct Rashi or let me fix it up. It's a little hard. It's a little hard for us to know unless, unless the Rashbam would say something. But here he doesn't. He doesn't say something. Let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, if he, he quotes Rashi. So, it's hard to know uh, what the Ramban means when he quotes Rashi. If the Ramban says he's wrong, so then I know what he means. If he says there's another possibility, then I also know what he means. But if he quotes Rashi, he doesn't say anything about the Rashi, even though he gives a different interpretation. It's not quite clear. So what does the Ramban say? L'dad Rabotenu, Harei Yaakov, Hizkimita ba'atzmo, Hinei anochimet, Vaya Elokim imchem. Into a Yaakov Avinu said, I'm about to die. Well, how can Homer say Yaakov Avinu lomate? He himself, we think Yaakov Edu is going to be lying about a thing like that. And then the Torah would report what Yaakov Edu said, even though it turned out to be a lie, according to Chachamim. I mean, this doesn't make sense to the Ramban. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Yaakov Edu didn't understand Nafsho the inner workings of his soul. Or Yaakov Avinu said, look, I'm about to die. He meant, I don't want you to think I'm special. I want you to think I'm different than everybody else. I mean, I'll also die, even though right now I'm not going to die. V'chein, v'yu, achayu seif, ki meit avihem, ki lahem meitu. And in other words, the achayu seif saw that he was going to die. Doesn't mean he was dead already. So sometimes you say dead about somebody who looks like he's going to die. But it doesn't mean he died already. <coughs> Maybe they didn't understand what was going on. So the, the Ramban first deals on the level of shot. At the level of shot, the Ramban says, look, it says here, Yaakov said, I'm going to die. And then the brother said, oh, look, he's dying. So how could the Chachobim say that he didn't die? So the Ramban said, if, if, if it were true that he didn't die, then you could explain those psukim. You could say they thought he was going to die. They, they feared he was going to die. There was some kind of impression that he was going to die. So they said, look, he's dead, he's dying. You know, people talk, people talk that way. But then the Ramban adds, adds something. He says, Inyana medrashaze. Inyana medrashaze ki nefashot ha-tzadikim tzrurot b'tzror ha-chayim. You know, that's a, a bracha that we say about the departed. Shetehei nefashot tzrura b'tzror ha-chayim. Tzror is a... Uh, I don't know, like a bag. Tzror kesef is like a, 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 a wallet. You know, the old-time wallets, they have to straps on them, close them. That's a tzror. So his soul should be a, a kind of placed or ensconced in tzror hachayim. He should be with the living, this, uh, this person. So now... Listen again. Inyana medrash ki nefeshot tzadikim surot b'tzror chayim. There's something that Rabban says that we're supposed to understand that. In, in other words, life, living, is part of the nature of the soul of the righteous. 
They live. The souls live. Vizo hachofeif alav kol hayom. Hachofeif. This tzror hachayim is kind of hovers above him all the day. Loveshek levusha hasheni shelo yifshetena aruma kiyakov. So levush, the word levush, the Kabbalist means the way it looks. It doesn't mean like clothing, but it means there's a, a look to you. So what's the look that the, that the tzaddikim have? Loveshed levush hasheni shelo yifshetena aruma. That that the, the, the dead, the dead person, the dead righteous person, suddenly is wearing the alternate clothing or the alternate look that he has for Olam Haba, Kiyakov, O Titlabesh Leitim Mizumanot, or that you look that way from time to time. The Yuvana and Yanazeh, and he quotes several Gemara. What he means, what the Ramban means is that life, life is transient, is temporal. But there is an afterlife which is permanent, the life of the soul. Now it's sometimes possible, it's sometimes, like in a normal, in a normal situation, a person dies. But you don't see the life after death in the face of that person or in the body of that person but you know we believe that somehow the soul continues to live the body dies but the soul lives so that the life after life is not known to us but with the tzaddikim with the tzaddikim there is this notion that you can actually see them living in the other life. The righteous are not always with us. They're not always here. They may be somewhere else. They may be somewhere else. Where are they? As the Zmirot we sing on Shabbat say, Me'ein olam haba. They're such a thing. They can be me'ein olam haba. You think me'ein olam haba just means eating chont and, and fatty kugel? Apparently not. That's not what me'ein olam. In other words, we are not yearning for a place in olam haba just to eat greasy chot. Even though I think that greasy chot may make the day sometimes on Shabbos, right? Nothing against greasy chot. But the yearning, the me'ein olam haba, this idea that you could have olam haba in olam hazeh, derives from this Ramban. Or it's connected to the idea that the Ramban says that life and death don't have to be absolutely distinct from each other. That when you live in Olam Azeh, it's only Olam Azeh. Or you live in Olam Abba, it's only Olam Abba. So you know that the Jews, not only Jews, but Jews certainly, have always tried to understand where the Olam Haba in Olam Hazeh is. Where is the And so Shabbos became a me'ein olam haba kind of situation. Shabbos, we say, <coughs> we say there's a neshama yitera. What's a neshama yitera? I mean, I know it means an extra soul. But what do you need an extra soul for? And we have enough trouble with the soul we already have. What's the neshama yitera of Shabbat? The neshama yitera of Shabbat is unfettered by the goof. It's not, it's not limited. It was like we all feel that we have like this conflict within us at times. We could be so good, but we're not always so good. We could be as good as we think we could be, but sometimes we're not quite that good. But the neshama yitera is always, is always good. So the neshama yitera can only exist for us when the, the Averot, where the transgression or the difficulties are minimized. It's just like Shabbos, you can't do anything. Right? You can't cook. You can't make a fire. You can't set this up. You can't do that. You can't do that. So when you can't do anything, 
You can't do anything to please yourself. That doesn't mean that you can't be pleased because whatever you prepared on Friday, you could eat on Shabbos. But you can't do it on Shabbos. So you have a day that you can't do anything, so you can't do, it's hard to do things wrong. So on that day, we feel the presence of the Shammai Terah. So this, this demarcation line between life and death, according to the Rabban, where life is about the pleasures of Allah, and, and, and the death thinks about the, the wonders of Allah Haba, sometimes the Allah Haba comes into Allah Mazer, but the Ramban did not explain it properly. Now all of this we talked about, it's based on a Gemara. And that Gemara is in Ta'anit Afayim Udet. It is a story, Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Yitzhak, Havu Yatri, Bisudata. They were sitting and eating together. So you see that the great Emorayim ate. Well, in case you had any you wondered about that, here's a riot. They ate. Omelay Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Yitzhak, Lema Mar Milta. So he says to Rabbi Yitzhak, Say it right to You know, say it right to That's a nice thing to say. Omelay. Don't you know what Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said? Right? Because Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Yitzchak are eating together. Rabbi Yitzchak, he asked Rabbi Yitzchak, say something. So Rabbi Yitzchak said, don't you know what Rabbi Yochanan said? You shouldn't talk while you're eating. Did anybody's grandmother ever say that to them? Don't talk while you're eating. So you understand that... The, it's not interesting that your grandmother said that. It's interesting that she quoted the Gemara. <laughs> but that is interesting. But it was so much in the air. All these things were in the air. So the grandmother learned it from her grandmother. So everybody was sure that it was in the Gemara. He didn't know exactly where. But everybody knew that it was in the Gemara. She says, Afi Omar Rabbi Yochanan Nemi Sichim B'Suda. Is that what they talk? Shema Yaktim Kanem L'Voshet. V'yavoli Be'Sachana. Because maybe the food while you're eating will go down the windpipe instead of going down the esophagus. And that's not so good. I mean, usually we can bear it, but sometimes it could really cause a problem. The avoli de Suddenly he's, you know, suddenly you need hot solar or whatever else is around. Vatar de Saud See how important this is, this story? It's a real story. But after they finished eating Vatar de Saud, Amale, he said, he, Rabbi Yitzchok said to Rabbi Nachman, Hachi Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Since we started quoting Rabbi Yochanan, I'm continuing to quote something for Rabbi Yochanan. Yaakov Avinu lo mate. Yaakov Avinu didn't die. This is the source. This is the Gemara. So the Gemara goes on and says, Amale, Rabbi Nachman said, he says, what do you mean? You mean all those people at the time that Yaakov Avinu died? They, they said, has paid him. You know, they spoke at his funeral. You mean there was nothing? Like he was alive and they were making has paid him. And they, they embalmed him. You mean they embalmed him and he was alive? And then they, he says, and they, they, after all, they, they buried him, didn't they? You mean they buried him and he was alive? How could, how could that be? Omalei, mikra ani doresh. He says to him, I learned it from a posuk. I mean, I wasn't there. I, was, I couldn't see it. But it was a posuk in Yermiyahu that implies what I just said. What does the Pesach say? V'atal tira avdi Yaakov nu Mashem. V'al techat Yisrael. That's how the Navi talks. Yaakov, don't be afraid. Yisrael, don't be afraid. That's talking to B'nai Yisrael, but using the names Yaakov and Yisrael. Kihineni moshiacha mirachok. Because I will redeem you from afar. Right from the dia- in the diaspora, that's aracha meeretz shavit. She says, and and your progeny will come back from wherever they are. So the the Rav, Rav Nachman says, I'm sorry, Rav Yitzchok says, Makish who Lizaro who 
he, Yaakov Avinu, is compared to his progeny, Zaro. Says Ma Zaro b'Chayim, Avu b'Chayim. So you see that that's the that's the simple pshat that just like his progeny, his descendants are alive, so too is he alive. Now, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you think this is a good pshat in the pasuk or not a good pshat in the pasuk, but the discussion is that according to according to uh, Rav Yitzchak, there's a proof that Yaakov Avinu lo mate. And the proof that Yadlo Vinolo made is not in the posseg that we started out with. Remember that posseg? Which doesn't mention the word Lamut. It's not from there. It's rather some other posseg. Now if you look at the Rashi, if you look at the Rashi, you see in the fifth line, it says, Lomate. See the Rashi next to the Gemara? Fifth line of the Rashi says, Lo meit elachai hu laolam. You know, Rashi is not fooling around. Rashi doesn't want you to, to make a little mistake here. What does Rashi think? That Yago Avinu didn't die, but he's going to live, and he lives forever. <coughs> if you look at the end, which is Avhu Bechayim, you see the Rashi, the last four lines of the Rashi. Avu b'chayim, sheviyenu b'gola, sheviyenu b'gola, kedei ligol et banav le'enav. That Yaakov is going to be there when the children and the grandchildren, the progeny, how many generations as it takes, will be brought back. K'mol shematzinu b'mitzrayim, v'ya Yisrael v'darshinan, Yisrael Saba Udichanto Chantaya Nidmela and Shemait Alochaya. And so Rashi says, Well, what about the fact they embalmed him? So he says, Well, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't dead. So I guess they left a little hole someplace where he could breathe. There's a quint to Rashi's reading of the Gemara. There isn't any doubt. There isn't any doubt. What isn't there any doubt about? That Yaakov Avinu lives and breathes. And therefore, there's no way to explain the Rashi and the Chumash any differently. According to the Rashi and the Chumash, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu is alive. So, let's look at another Gemara on the second page. There's another Gemara. There's a Gemara in Sota. There's a Gemara in Sota, David Gimel of Aleph. Um, we'll start from the beginning. Kevan Shehigiu Semarata Machpelah. This is a story about the brothers taking the body of Yaakov Avinu back to Eretz Yisrael. Kevan Shehigiu Semarata Machpelah. I mean, that was the place he was going to be buried. By Jacob Vidu was going to be buried in Marta Machbela. Ata Esav Kama Akev. Suddenly Esav showed up. Remember Esav? Yaakov's brother. Ka Ma'akev. He tried to prevent them from proceeding on Marlahem. Mamrei Kiryat Arba He Chevron. He says he meant. It meant that it really should belong to me. So Rabbi Yitzchak said, How, what, what was Ayesim arguing? They were Zugot, were buried in Marat HaMachpelah. Only four, that's why it's called Akir. Uh, uh, the Machpelah is the two, the Zugot, and Arba somehow connects to the number of people buried. So it had to be Yaakov, that's what, that's what he says. The high Defayish Didihu. So he says, no, so there's one grave that's left over. There's one grave, there's one grave missing, right? There's seven people buried in Machpelah. And he's one. He's one. He, Esav, is one. 
So he says, He says, the one that is left over should belong to me. So they said to him, why did you buy it? Zavinte, if you look at Zavinte, Amaluhu Nehi, Bizvine Bechiruta, Pshituta, Mi Zavine. He says, he says, uh, when I, I sold the Bechora, Pshituta, Mi Zavine, Omrule, in Bechtiv, Bekevari Ashakariti Li. That that's what Yaakov Rino said to the to the children, to the to his children, Yosef and the brothers, that it belonged to him. So Omar Rav Yosef, there's an argument going on between Esav and the brothers. The brothers say that the grave belongs to Yaakov, and Esav says that the grave belongs to him. Omar Rav Yochel Meshur Hashem and Yotzadak, Ein Kira Ela Rishon Mechira. So he says, no, maybe Yaakov meant something else. When Yaakov said that pasuk, asher kariti li, maybe it's something to do with selling. Maybe he sold it. Shekein b'karche hayam korim l'mechira kira. Amalahu, havu li igarto. So they said to him, it was he, Esav, said to the brothers, havu li igarto. Bring me a letter. Bring me a letter. If you look at the Rashi, Rashi is about 60% of the way down. Show me that it was sold to Yaakov, that Yaakov owns it. Amulei, he got to the bar of Israeli. He says, what do you mean we didn't bring uh, the deeds of the land with us? They left in Mitzrayim. They left in Mitzrayim. He says, now who can go? Who can go there? Who can go to get it now? Now we have this body. We want to bury Yaakov. You want us to go and find a lawyer to, to verify the fact that it belongs to him? So he says, who can go to Mitzrayim to get the deeds? He says, Nezal Naftali. The Khalil Ki Ayalata. Right? What was the prophet that Yaakov gave for Naftali? What? Naftali Ayala. So that's why the baby is born, a girl baby. Who's supposed to be named after Naftali? You can name her Ayala. And nobody will know. Others, but they should know. Ayala. She says, Naftali, the Kalilki Ayala, the Yaakovidu said that Ayala, that Naftali runs like a, like a, whatever that is. What is that? A what? A deer, like a deer. You know, some an animal that runs quickly. Okay. Anotani Mreshafa. Omar Abi Abao. Alti great Imreshafa, Imreshafa. Okay, so that's a, that's a, a side point. A side drasha. Now listen to what the Gemara says. Chushim the Dan. Dan had a son whose name was Chushim. And Chushim Dan Taman Hava, he's standing around in this crowd, watching the argument between Esau and the brothers. The Yekiron Le Udne, Udne is his ear, right? Rashi says, Kavduaz Yakiran means heavy. His, his ears got heavy, it means he was really unhappy. And what was going on here? Yaakov is lying there dead, waiting to be buried. And they're fighting about whether he has the right to go into the Marath of He doesn't have the right. He says, Oh, my Lord, my high. So Chushim said, What's going on here? So Esav is going to stop us from going using this grave until, until, uh, uh, Naftali runs to Mitzrayim and runs back with the proper, proper documentation. Naftali Avi Abba. I mean, he says, "My father, our father." Until he goes to Mitzrayim, he comes back, our father. Mutal You can be lying here in the sun, in the city of Hebron, and not get. It's not going to be buried any place. Impossible. Shokal kulfa. 
Bechaya So he took a stick and he he slammed Esav with the with the stick. If you look at the Rashi Shakel Gulfo Makel Kemo Gulfe Tuve Bola Maavine Beerchenos. He took this this piece of wood, this uh, this uh, bat, and he batted him over the head with it. Natran Eina Venaflo Akare Biyakov. His eyes, Asab's eyes, fell out of his head onto the uh, the lap, onto the lap of Yaakov. Venaflo Akare Biyakov. Patchinhu Yaakov Leine Vachich. So what happened? Well, we see from the pasuk. This is from a Pasuk in Tehillim, and the Pasuk in Tehillim says, Yismach Tzadik ki chaza nakum pa'amav yerchatz b'dam rasha. Yismach Tzadik ki chaza nakam. The Tzadik was happy because he saw, he witnessed the punishment of the bad guy. So you see that like, like uh, uh, Yaakov gets the eyes of Asa full into his lap and Yaakov is, is a happy man. He's a happy man. Okay. Enough. So I, I want to ask you something. If you read this story, is Yaakov alive or is Yaakov dead? At the end, when it says that Yaakov was overjoyed because of what happened to Esav, was he alive or was he dead? Being overjoyed. When they brought Yaakov to be buried, I guess he was dead. But as a result of what happened with Esav, maybe he is now, maybe he's now alive. Okay. Let's look at the Meshilach. Let's look at the Meshilach. See the Meshilach? Uh, there are two sections of the Meshilach. The first one, First one first. Vayasof raglav elamita. Ita bagmara Yaakov avinu lomet. Now we'll make sure this is absolutely correct. What the Gemara says is correct. He's not uh, going to argue that. But he wants to explain what it means. What do you mean Yaakov avinu lomet? Inyan bazeh. Kinyan mitahu. Ishtanut ha'adam. Me'olam hazeh lo'olam abba. Now again, this is, a, this is an idea. That, that we are, we are created, and we have a body, and we have a soul. According to, according to uh, uh, the Meshivah, we have the capacity to live in Olam Azeh, and we have the potential to live in Olam Abba. But in order to live in Olam Abba, uh, we have to change. We have to be different. Whereas in Olam Azeh, we look like a body, pretty much. And the soul in us is not always so apparent. But we get to Olam Abba, it'll be the opposite. But it, 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 there's a potential. We could change. This idea of Shinui. Shinui means it's the same. Right? Let me, let, me, uh, let me explain it. When God created the world, when God created the world, He wants to say, what is the determining, what is the determining thing about the created world that differentiates it from God. Well, you know, you could say all kinds of things, but you could say, you could say change. Right? Everything, everything we know of changes, right? Some things are coming apart, and some things are putting together. We are younger, then we get older. As we get older, we get even more older. This doesn't work, that doesn't work. Everything changes. Everything changes all the time. So that you could say that creation, a synonym for creation, is change. Some people would have said at different times, philosophers thought they said maybe a synonym, creation is time. That yesh, time. But time is also change. Because why can we tell the time? Because things change. Because like things in the world, they repeat themselves, but they keep changing. There's sunrise and there's sunset. So we can figure out by the motion of the sun and the stars and the moon, which are always changing, we can figure out some way of estimating time. And we did that in a way that's acceptable to all. Even though writing and, and, and reading is different from place to place, 
But telling the time is basically the same today, wherever you go. You tell the time in the same way. So that the transition from Olam Hazeh to Olam Habba, according to the Meshilach, is a function of change. I change from the creation, the creature of Olam Hazeh, into the creature of Olam Habba. If I change from A to B, that means that B is already potentially part of A. Otherwise, you could, A couldn't become B. It's like in there. Now, if you want to call it the DNA or molecular structure, you want to call it some name like that, that'll make it, uh, make the people think that you're very intelligent. So you can do that. You can do that. But the basic idea, the basic idea is that creation is change. And the implication of this idea is that Olam Hazed, Olam Abba, is creation. That, that there, it's beyond to prove that there is Olam Abba because there's no other possibility. There's no other possibility. There's no possibility that creation disappears. But creation could only mutate itself into something else. And the something else that it mutates itself into, according to, you know, the thoughtful consideration of uh, rabbis of Chazal throughout the ages is Olam Abba. So that's what the Meishi Loch is saying. Inyan Bazeh, the first line. Ki inyan mita u ishtanut ha'adam me'olam hazel olam Abba. That means it's in creation, just like all shinui. All change is part of creation. So when a person dies, creation has to go on. It's got to go someplace. There's got to be some way of accommodating this new situation, and that's called Olam Haba. The Yaakov is, he doesn't have to be in Olam Haba to know that there's Olam Haba. I remember I was once in a shul in London, and a rather elderly gentleman, well into his 90s, said to me, Rabbi, he says, how do you know that there's no Olam Haba? And I said to him, it was between Milcha Mara. It's like standing on one foot, you know. It wasn't like he was going to give me a lot of time for this answer. Like he said, look, Rabbi, I'm an old man. Just give me the answer. So I said, there's no other possibility. And he was happy. But what I meant was that since everything, is, that's what creation is, everything changes into something else that's still part of the creation. So death cannot be the end of things, but it must signal the end of a stage that becomes another stage. We call that Olam Abba, even though I don't know anything about Olam Abba, but I'm confident that such a thing would exist, that there's Olam Abba. I don't know what it is. The Ramam says we, don't, we can't possibly know, so I certainly can't possibly know. But that's what the, the, the Meshilov starts with. The Yaakov, listen to this idea. Tam Shanim Mitzrayim it imoha shem yiparach tipa chayim me'ein olam haba. There was Yaakov Vavinu, when he was those 17 years in Mitzrayim, they were not really part of his life. He didn't live in Mitzrayim. Uh, so where did he live? I mean, he walked around, he drank coffee in the morning, he thought about things. He says, no, he was already in olam haba. He wasn't really living in Olam Hazeh. Al-Kei Me'emar, Alav, Lomet. And therefore, it is said about Yaakov Avinu that he didn't die, because what does dying mean? Dying means you see the end to Olam Hazeh, and you assume the beginning of Olam Abba. But Yaakov Avinu was already in Olam Abba. In Olam Hazeh. He was totally a displaced person in Mitzrayim. He didn't want to go to Mitzrayim. He says, uh, Because when he died, he was the same as he was when he was alive. He was living in that other world. He was living in that other world to understand that when Yaakov Avinu, when Yaakov Avinu, Bikesh what does that mean, Bikesh Galot Dakates? It means that Yaakov Avinu knew the Kates. Right? How did Yaakov Avinu know? He doesn't know 
anything other than what HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him. There's nothing in the Chumash that says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Yaakov the case. However, since Yaakov was a Ben Olam Haba, he was already living in this heavenly sphere. Sphere. So just as everything in the heavenly sphere is, is full of, of knowledge, history doesn't mean anything. Only knowledge. There's no change in Olam Abba. There's only knowledge in Olam Abba. So Yaakov Avinu knew the case, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu stopped him because the children of Yaakov Avinu were not in Olam Abba. They were very much in Olam Azeh and demanded, they demanded, a purification that had to take place before Yitziat Mitzrayim and Matan Torah. So this is what the Neshiloch is talking about. Now in that Gemara, I'm sorry, I, 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 I didn't, it wasn't printed by accident, but in that Gemara, the Gemara in Ta'anit that we learned, remember, Yaakov the body was brought there to Israel and Asaph tried to stop him and then there was the story with um, uh, Naftali, maybe he'll run to the tribe and come back. And then Hushim Ben Dan said, what's going on? He took a, a whack at, at Esau, and that was the end of him. So, right after that Gemara, like the next line in the Gemara, there's an unrelated piece of information. And it says, it says according to Freudian theory, if you make a Freudian error, it's meaningful. So like if you, if you like get up uh, from the chair and you say ice cream. So of course it means you'd like to have some ice cream, right? Now what happens if a man gets out of his chair and mentions the name of a well-known prostitute? This is the Gemara. I'm not uh, putting you on here. Mentions the name of a well-known prostitute. Who is, what is the name of a well-known prostitute? You didn't learn that part of the Tanakh? Rachav Hazona. So the Gemara says, somebody says, Rachav! <laughs> Guys walking around, says Rachav. She, she says, the Gemara says, Gemara says, that in 2,000 years, Freud is going to explain this behavior. But we'll just tell you right now that it means that he's thinking about the wrong thing. That's what we're going to tell you. So and there are several other examples of the Gemara of this Freudian kind of behavior. And that Gemara comes right after the Gemara about Yaakov Avinu and Chushim and whacking Esau and his eyes and that whole story is followed by this story about Freudian slips. That's just called Freudian slips. So the Meishi the, the, uh, says... Somebody walks around and says, Rachav, Rachav, you know that he's going to have an, an, an emission, a nocturnal emission, which is a bad thing. It's not true about everybody. But it's true about people who really had something to do with that, with that prostitute, with Rechav HaZonah. Biyod'ah u'makira. U'razei smichut ha'gmara l'harot. And so what is the Meishi Law going to explain? Why these two things are juxtaposed exactly in the Gemara in Ta'anit. Not an easy thing. He says, U'razei smichut ha'gmara l'harot ki k'moshi nimtza b'inyanei olam hazeh chemda. So it's just like in, in Olam Azeh. Sometimes you're desirous of something. Let's take a, an easier, uh, an easier uh, thing, you know, like some people like leather accessories. You know, you know what I mean? You know, there are these stores where everything costs a tremendous amount of money and it all smells like leather or whatever. I never smelled leather except in a store, so I don't know if it smells like leather or it smells like perfume. But, you know, so, so something you could think about it. And you say, wow, I, you know, when you see it, so you see it, you say, gee, I'd like to own that. But sometimes you just think about it and you say, wow, I'd like to own this. That's called chemda. 
That's called chemda. So he says, chemda shenishar kavua belev adam. That sometimes desire remains implanted in a person. That what he received in his relationship over the years, it remained in him. He could, he could kind of bring it up again. He could be in that state. So you can't say that Yaakov Avinu died. Because died means that the feelings that he had and the thoughts that he thought, they all disappeared. But since Yaakov Avinu was already thinking about Olababa, it Olabazeh, so that remained. And therefore, he did not die. And if you look carefully at the Meshilach, you see, uh, next to the last line in the first section, he takes off one set of clothing and he puts on another set of clothing. Who said that? Who said that? The Ramba? In other words, the Meshilah is talking about the Ramban. And the Ramban says, the Ramban says that death is a cutoff point between Olam and Olam But for Yaakov Avinu, there was no such cutoff point. It doesn't mean that his body wasn't dead. Of course his body was dead. But he didn't die as other people die. Like, like, the whole thing disappears. There's nothing left. But Yago Avinu was already in Olam at the time that he was walking around in Goshen. And Ze Inyana Pasuk Oz Yigba Kishachach Orecha Yivkahem Otiyot Yaakov Alright, so he goes on. He has another proof. I want to read the last section in the, uh, from the Meshigar. The last section. It says about Moshe Rabbeinu Blessed B'nai Yisrael before he died. L'fnei moto. Why does the person have to say L'fnei moto? Of course it was L'fnei moto. After he died, I mean, he can't do anything. Why does the person have to tell us he hasn't died yet? Moshe Rabbeinu l'avashalolo yahar muvchar shebekor nefashot. He was the greatest of all the souls. L'viyom moto nishlam bishleimut hayautlo he became as much as you could possibly be. Human potential was actualized in Moshe Rabbeinu, in Moshe Tatav. Ben me'ab esim shana anochi hayom, hayru, shabiyom hazeh, nishlam bishleimut hagamur, ki kol echad nishlam bizman meyuchad. All the great tzaddikim become whole, finished products. At a certain time, Yaakov Avinu Nishlam Be'echerad LeMitzrayim. In other words, when Yaakov Avinu went out to Mitzrayim, the Beishilach says, then Yaakov Avinu was already was already in Olam Haba. I mean, he left Olam Hazeh. He didn't die, but he left Olam Hazeh. That's Yaakov Avinu. Rotana Yudzayin Shanim Shechai BeMitzrayim. Those 17 years that he lived in Mitzrayim, you made Olam Abba. It was like living in Olam Abba. Moshe Rabbeinu was not as great as Yaakov in this aspect. Moshe Rabbeinu became whole, the perfect human being, on the day of his death. Vaaz Berachotam. And that's why he chose that day to bless B'nai Yisrael because as a kli, as a vessel for blessing the people, he was unique on that day. So if we look again, we have Rashi. Rashi says, Yaakov Inolomate, he really didn't die. And that leads us into kind of a conundrum. We don't understand 
what, Yaakov, what Rashi means. The Rashbam ignores Rashi and says that uh, he doesn't say Rashi is wrong, but by ignoring Rashi, we understand that Rashi's interpretation does not find favor in his eyes. The Ramban thinks that Pshat is correct, but he ends, the Ramban ends with this mystery statement about taking off your clothes and putting on the clothes, looking one way, looking another way. Then we saw that the Gemara in Ta'anit, the Gemara in Ta'anit seems to imply that Yaakov Vido had a dead body, that there was a dead body that came to be buried in Marat al-Akhbelah, and that that dead body was fought over by the brothers, Yosef and his brothers, and, uh, and Esav, which ended with the story of Hushim Mandan, etc. Finally, you have the Meshiloach, who, without quoting any of this material, really ties it all together. Ties it all together. He adds this idea that you see that people have, people have chemda. People have, they have desire. And sometimes they can desire something if it's not there. If it's not, it's not available to them. It's like, in other words, they have in themselves the capacity to create reality. And that was the capacity that Yaakov Avinu had from the time that he went down to Mitzrayim. He was able to create for himself the reality of being in Olam Abba and not being in Olam Hazeh. So even though Yaakov Avinu went down to Mitzrayim against his will, and while we don't understand why it couldn't be otherwise, that somebody could have gone to visit Yaakov, or, we, we now learn, interestingly, that Yaakov Avinu was really not there. He was in Olam Haba all this time. And, uh, and uh, finally, the Meshilah says that in this point you can compare Yaakov Avinu to Moshe Rabbeinu. The difference being that Yaakov Avinu became uh, a man of Olam Haba 17 years before he actually died. Whereas uh, Moshe Rabbeinu became a man of Olam Haba on the, uh, on the day that he died. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu waited until the day he died to give the bracha to the Shvatim. Because the, uh, the brachot of Moshe Rabbeinu were his invention. Just as it seems that the brachot of Yaakov were his invention as well. Whenever you say invention, there's a certain difficulty. Of course, it was, there was divine input, but it wasn't as though God said to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, say this to Reuven, say this to Levi, say this to Yehuda, that somehow the nisuach, the formulation, belonged to, uh, belonged to Moshe Rabbeinu. Have a good Shabbos.